Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hi, and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast. February is always a unique month. It usually has only 28 days, but sometimes 29 days, like this year. It's the home of Valentine's Day, which for people like me usually entails a doghouse of some kind. February is also the month when the Oscars are awarded in Hollywood. I don't know about you, but to me, Hollywood seems like an entire planet away from where we are in the Lone Star State. And the closest that most Texas lawyers could come to Hollywood would entail becoming entertainment lawyers. But that would mean moving to Hollywood, New York, you know, the home of Broadway and several studios, or Nashville, home base for country music fans. There's no way to be an entertainment lawyer in Texas, right? Right? Well, no, that's wrong, actually. My guest... Tamara Bennett is Exhibit A, living proof that you can be an entertainment lawyer and practice in the great state of Texas. Tamara has practiced entertainment law since 2001, and get this, her practice is located in Louisville, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Now, granted, Tamara's first love has always been music. She had planned since the age of five to become a rock star, and actually, she has become a rock star, in the legal field at least. She co-hosts the Entertainment Law Podcast and has more than 110 episodes under her belt. She's written for Texas Lawyer and for Billboard Magazine and has served on the Texas chapter of the Grammy Association, including two terms on his Board of Governors. I could go on, but I'm sure you'd like me to stop talking so that you can hear from Tamara herself. Welcome, Tamara. Thanks for being here. Hey, Rocky. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's it's a treat and delight to be able to talk with you today. Well, and, and you're a fellow podcaster, so I, I, I better be careful because you'll be able to critique me. This is, I'm on the hot seat today. I think you're probably not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have had the uh, great pleasure of, we're in our 11th year of hosting, I'm um, co-host the Entertainment Law Update podcast with Gordon Firemark, who, who is an entertainment attorney in LA. He's the technical one, so I just plug and play, which I'm so glad this is how it works with your podcast as well. I just show up and do what I do best, which is talk. Absolutely. Well, you know, I have to give a shout out to the good folks at Legal Talk Network. They they make my job very easy. They They make it plug and play. So they're the ones doing the heavy lifting on our end. So thank you, Legal Talk Network. So Tamara, let's start with the elephant in the room. All right. So you're an entertainment lawyer, which is great, but why Texas? Well, amazing question, because you alluded to the to the fact in the intro, I, I've always had a passion for the music business in kindergarten, where I lived in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is very close to Nashville. I stood up in kindergarten, played air guitar and said that was I was going to grow up and be a rock star. That was my career choice. Fast forward, I did end up getting a degree in recording industry studies, worked in Nashville in the music business, figured out I didn't want to be a rock star probably not qualified to be a rock star, but I loved the business side of the music business. Fast forward a little bit more, my wonderful, delightful husband, who we will be married 30 years in April, his job brings him to Texas. Ah. So so there you go. That's okay. it. That's how we uh, very unplanned at the time, never thought we would move to Texas, but we've been here 25 years. So 
in the in the same area right here in the Dallas Metroplex. Yeah, so actually Louisville, Texas. So is that for family reasons or was Louisville a strategic decision for you? Oh, well, yes, again, this is all tied to my husband. Strategic decision, Louisville Flower Mound area is very close to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport. Sure, absolutely. When we moved here 25 years ago, I thought it would be to both convenient to both Dallas and Fort Worth. If anybody lives in this area, it is not convenient. It is not convenient to, to Fort Worth, right? <laughs> or Dallas. And I have worked in both. So so I'll be honest with you, I live in the community. My office has been in my I've actually been practicing since ninety-eight. My office has been in Louisville since two thousand one because it's very close to my home. And that is the strategic positioning right there. Most of my clients I actually work with and even way back in two thousand one. I work with them remotely. Very few of them actually do I get to meet in person. So location was not as big a deal as one might think for me. Well, now, have you always been an entertainment lawyer or was that, because I I know you graduated in 98 and then you've been doing entertainment law since 2001. So were you a more mainstream practitioner in that 98 to 2001 era? You know, that's a great question. So like I said, my background was in the music business. I worked in the music publishing industry and music production industry uh, from the time I got out of college until I moved to Texas in 95, 96. And I have always, even before 98 to 2001, I was with a law firm in Fort Worth. I was practicing some amount of entertainment law and then also just everything you can imagine with that firm. I was a 25 lawyer firm. Great, great place. I love that firm. But I was the youngest associate. And so I did everything. I did mid-mouth depositions. I did hearings. I did corporate work. Just a little bit of everything. And that's part of the reason I decided to leave what was a great firm so that I could spend more time focusing on what areas of law were really my passion, which has developed into entertainment law. And I hope we can kind of talk about the niches in entertainment law, but then also trademark and copyright law, which for me kind of weave together nicely. So do you think it's possible to do full-time entertainment work in Texas as a lawyer, or do you have to kind of sprinkle it in with other practice areas? It's a sprinkle. Ever how that works for people, and that's something that I think is really important to understand. There, There may be one or two lawyers in Texas who can truly say 90% of their business is entertainment law, ever how we want to define that. But most of my colleagues I work with, and that's not just in Texas. I would even say this goes to the big, what we would consider music and film centers. Many of those lawyers aren't practicing 100% entertainment law. You know, practice areas mesh together based on our skill sets. So I don't want people thinking, oh, I have to get in with a firm in one of these big cities to have any exposure to entertainment law because it's it's just not true. You you can build it and they will come. So well it's, okay, so now let's let's talk a little bit. You you used I think every lawyer's favorite word, which is define. We like to define things. And so you you said something to the effect of entertainment law as we might define it. How would you define an entertainment law practice? What does that look like? Well, I would define it in subsets and say that entertainment law is the umbrella. Okay. Because in fact, there's many things that you could someone could refer to me or call me uh, about helping them on a legal issue 
that is, quote, entertainment law, that I'm not the expert on that. So most of my entertainment law practice is actually focused around music. So it's licensing of music, copyrights on music, protecting music. I I will say from the outset here, I don't do any litigation. I'm a solely Mm. transactional practice. So if someone called because they have a new film production company, I actually would refer that work to my colleague who is in Dallas who does film work. Now, she also does commercial litigation unrelated to film. That's how she's combined those two practice areas. If someone called me because they've just been offered a huge book deal, I would have called my friend Mike Ferris, who you've interviewed on this podcast. Mike is fantastic. Mike is fantastic. Mike has retired. Right. Because not only did he do literary work, he's also an author, and he as well did commercial litigation. He's a full-time author. He's living the dream. He's living the dream. And so, and let's say somebody called me and they specifically needed to raise money for a film project or a TV project or even a music project. I wouldn't do that because it needs a securities lawyer. I see. So so that goes to my buddy who's in Austin who does securities law. So I, I really think it's important for either people thinking about going to law school, law students, attorneys who maybe are wanting to transition their career to say, well, which part of this am I really passionate about? Because it's it's really hard to learn it all and be good at it. Well, now look, I, I'm going to play, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. So, you know, you mentioned all these different, all these different practice areas. You know, you've got licensing, you've got litigation, securities. I mean, there's a whole panoply out there, and I say that because I like the word panoply. It's just a good <laughs> word. But you know, let's going into all that. Do you really have to be an entertainment lawyer then to do entertainment law, or do you simply have to know something about licensing? or securities work, or litigation. And then you can kind of do this type of work, but it's really not your bread and butter, as it were. I mean, is 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 entertainment law really a subset, or is that just regular law, for lack of a better term, that's aimed at a particular industry, if you will? That is a great question, and really a great summary, because one of the things that I think is so important is one, you need to be a good lawyer. There we go. That's the bottom line. Be, be a good lawyer. Uh, understand well, what I'm you're out. doing. I'm yeah, done. I know. Yeah. I, I might be out most days of the week <laughs> as well. But yet you've raised the perfect point that I think people get caught up with is to say, well, I can't do this because I'm a real estate lawyer. I can't do this because I'm a probate lawyer. If you're an oil and gas lawyer, you should be all over this because you already understand how royalties and licensing works. Mm. <laughs> so so sure. it would be a really easy transition. So that is key is don't forget what you already know, but you need to learn the industry. It would be, I mean, I am a lawyer. I understand the law. I remember what I learned in real property class in law school. I office with a real estate attorney. I'm not a real estate lawyer, but if I learned her business, I could be. So to me, the really a factor that people need to take away is you need to understand the business. That's the part that's hard to teach people. It's easy to teach them the law because a non-entertainment lawyer who reads and reviews contracts all the time, they're going to catch a lot of the contractual issues, but they're not going to catch the business issues that are off point. 
Can you give us an example or maybe a couple of examples of some of the business points that most of us non-entertainment folks may not fully appreciate? So if, if I get, not that I do licensing work, but if I get a licensing contract that comes into my office and if I've never done entertainment work, what might I be missing out on? Well, I mean, part of it is rates, whether that might be an something that falls between X and Y is what mm. the rate should be, the term for how long the deal should last. So is it someone wants to use your song? Is it going to be for a commercial that's just played in Austin or a commercial that's played in the whole state of Texas or a commercial that's played in the whole U.S.? Is it going to be on YouTube? Is it going to be international? Is it going to be for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, five years, or lifetime? Mm. Those are all industry questions that, as a lawyer who may not be exposed to this part of the business, may not know they need to ask. Whereas the clause related to statute of limitations, arbitration, mediation, all of this I, I hate to use the term boilerplate, but boilerplate, mm. those things you're, you might feel more comfortable with because, you know, you're used to reviewing contracts or you're a litigation attorney. I know this is where people get sued, but you may not understand what performance requirements there are. So that to me is one issue. Another is I've had the pleasure of working on a film and TV project with co-counseling with another lawyer. And while I knew part of how the business worked, it was amazing to hear what she had to say related to, well, in actuality, we can draft it this way, but they can't, they, the other side, production mm. company, they can't fulfill it because it's going to take 30 days for A, B, and C to happen. So actually mm. knowing how the business runs itself is really key to being able to advise your clients on expectations of even putting together a contract for people to to fulfill their end of the bargain. So where does where does one go to kind of learn a bit about the business? Is it do you just kind of shadow a more experienced entertainment lawyer? Is there are there other resources? How do you start piecing that together? I'm I'm trying to put that in my head. Like if I wanted to do this, where would I go? I I, I don't suppose there's a YouTube channel that tells you how to be an entertainment lawyer. So you know how do you? <laughs> there there probably do do is. There might uh, be. <laughs> As I say that, there might be. <laughs> there probably, so I would say there's one really good podcast. I would say, you know, come check out mine and uh, our Gordon and I, our podcast, Entertainment Law Update podcast. Not that we're necessarily telling you how to practice, but it is a resource for keeping you up to date on legal issues that are popping up. And we try and include practice pointers there. So that's, yes, I'm plugging it, but I do think it's a good good resource as well. Sure. You know, I would I would actually start, I don't know how many non-lawyers listen to the podcast, but maybe we start there and work our way up. If you're an undergrad and you have a passion, whether it's film production, music, video, I don't know what it is. Art, you love actual visual arts of some kind. Take all the classes you can about how that industry works. Most colleges offer cool things like that now, even if you're not in a program that's specific to teaching you uh, that industry. Internships, that works for both college and undergrad, is if it's at all possible with your financial situation, your time, whatever that is, you need to be taking internships, externships as early and as often and as many as you can. 
And don't just think you have to go intern in a law office. I actually think that might be the worst place to intern ever. Mm. Go work in an industry, go work in a corporation. If go work in the business section of that industry. So you actually see the contracts and the business terms and the deals that are coming through to have a better understanding of how the pieces fit together. That is a challenge here in this area is trying to intern or shadow an entertainment attorney is because of the nature of most of our businesses. Many of us in the Texas area are solos or small firms. We're not really set up for that. Mm-hmm. Just the, the nature of the beast. You know, I actually don't have a place in my office for someone to come sit <laughs> if that were to be the case. And I had a, a longtime friend say, oh, I just wish I could come shadow you. I'm like, it's pretty boring. I talk on the phone and send emails. So mm-hmm. if you can get in with a with some type of entity business, and I, like I said, even into the business arm of it, which in corporations and in the at least in the entertainment industry, it's business affairs, which is the legal side of things, business and legal affairs. I think that's a great place to start. As an already licensed attorney, that may not work. You've got to still be working and putting food on the table and meeting billable hours. You know, CLE is a great thing to do. We have a two-day CLE through the State Bar of Texas, Texas Bar CLE, every year on entertainment law covers a wide range of topics. You know, come join us. Dallas Bar has monthly CLE presentations. I think Austin and Houston do the same thing. So get involved there. You know, networking is huge with other lawyers. More important than networking, and and you might have things to add on this, is building relationships. Sure. So there's a difference (laughs) between the two. So the more relationships you can build with people, is fantastic to to know that we are a welcoming bunch of, quote, entertainment lawyers in Texas. I had a colleague email me and say, can I call and ask you a question on this? I'm like, of course. And and the reverse happens when I have a question on something that might be a little bit outside of what I've seen before. Now, you've talked here for for a while about the the business of entertainment, but let's, let's maybe shift gears slightly and talk about the business of an entertainment law practice. I mean, how do you go about establishing that? Is it is it the same as you would any law practice any law practice? I mean, in the sense you talked about talking about relationships, which I would think kind of is common to non-entertainment law practices as well as entertainment law practices, but what are some of the unique aspects of establishing an entertainment law practice? How do you get your name out there? How do you build business? How do you How do you do all the things you need to do to kind of get up and running? And I will tell you everything I'm going to suggest or what I've done. It's my path. It's my story. I think it applies to any practice area out there. Hmm. Like I said, I was with a a 15, 20 person firm when I first started my law practice. And then I've been a solo since 2001. Sure. I have always had a very distinct path to say that I, I became a lawyer so that I could be an entertainment lawyer, be a music lawyer. That's the reason I went to law school. At that time, I lived in Nashville and it made a whole lot more sense to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, now I'm like, when we moved to Dallas, I kind of had to rethink and say, can I do that? And, and yes, I can. I've been able to build that. I have worked really, really hard at name recognition. I'm, I'm 
that's not tooting my own horn. That's just saying that's what I've done and have done for 25 years. As soon as I moved to Texas while in law school, I got involved with the entertainment law section of the Dallas Bar and got to know those other lawyers who were practicing entertainment law before I ever got out of law school. If I thought somebody even had a sniff of entertainment law related to what their law practice was in this area, I introduced myself. So there is a level of shaking hands and kissing babies that that everybody (laughs) needs to do. And again, that's networking. That's different from relationships. What needed to come from that was building those relationships over the years. And then, you know, it is somewhat of a joke that I, I am a little bit technically challenged, but I was an early adopter of blogging. I've Mm. been blogging 2007, 2008. Oh, wow. That was was in the early days of blogging. That was in the early days, very, very early in understanding or thinking I understood, or I just needed a creative outlet. So that's what I did. Also with podcasting, uh, Gordon and I are one of the longest running legal podcasts out there, 11 years. Yeah, at least 11 years we've been doing the podcast. So do you think location matters? I mean, it's, it's from what you're talking about, you're, you're talking about a lot of things that it maybe doesn't matter where you're sitting. I mean, it, in this day and age in 2020, do you think you necessarily have any advantages being in places like L.A. or Nashville or New York? Or can you start an entertainment law practice from virtually anywhere, given technology and the way things are all remote and mobile now? You can start one virtually anywhere. I think the question becomes, where do you want to tell people where you're located? Now, isn't that an interesting concept? So so let's say you are licensed in both. But when you're only licensed in Texas, I sure. don't think you can tell people that you have an address in California because you're probably violating the California rules of practice if you sure. were doing that. So be, you know, be mindful of that. I'm licensed in both Texas and Tennessee. If I wanted to, I could tell the world my office was in Nashville even though I'm not there. I could. Mm-hmm. I, I actually choose not to do that because I really love my connection to Texas. I love my connection to, I'm sitting in a 120-year-old building right now, and we were doing sound tests, and that's why you could hear the people downstairs, because, because I'm in a 120-year-old building, sure. and, I, and it's a really cool place to be and live my life and raise my family. But you can be virtually anywhere. I have a colleague who practices game law. And when I say game law, that means video games, board games. He does some cool stuff. Mm. He is licensed in California, has a law practice address in California. He lives most of the year in Thailand. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is very doable. I don't want people to let geography make you think you can't do it. There's this very large entertainment firm actually in Minneapolis. There's a law firm there that's that's one of the top entertainment firms. And it's because they had a group of people who came together. And that's what they do. So... I also want people to understand that there are plenty of entertainment lawyers in the major metropolitan areas that we consider, you know, L.A., New York, Nashville, who are struggling to have a 100 percent entertainment law practice. Sure. So grass is not always greener. Now, it w- I think community wise, it would be really cool to be practicing in one of those cities where you are interacting, you know, on a more regular basis with other people who do what you do. 
I think there is a there is a certain amount of community that I do believe I miss out in, but yet we have a very tight knit community in Texas where most of us know each other and rely on each other and and are free to call each other and ask questions when it's just something we've never seen before or something well, sure. that's different. Sure. Now I wonder, you know, you, let's say you go back to 2001, you know, when you started this, this entertainment law journey. So, you know, you're going on 19 years now, right? So mm-hmm. if you could go back to 2001 with the 19 years of knowledge and experience you now have, would you do anything differently? And if so, what is it? So this is funny. Hire an accountant first. (laughs) Yeah, we laugh. It goes back to the business of it, right? It is the business of it, because I think what you need to understand is not only if you're if you're a solo or, or small firm, are you trying to build your business? You're also a small business owner. And so a lot of time is spent on what, you know, if non billable work in operating your business. Mm-hmm. And then again, networking and building relationships, non-billable work. So it is the balance of those things. It, and that also goes to someone who's at a 500-person law firm. If you want to build your practice, whatever that practice is, you're going to have to spend time doing things that don't make money today. So, so really the things I would have done different is, one, I would have done a little bit of business infrastructure differently that would have made my life easier sure. uh, down the road. You know, I, I don't know from a practice development. I will tell you from a practice development. My office is in Denton County, Texas. I'm really sure. right on the line of Denton and uh, Dallas County on the just the very southern point point of Denton County, right at I-35 for anybody who's in, in the Metroplex area. Sure, absolutely. I did identify as soon as I went on my out on my own that I should get involved with the Denton County Bar Association. Mm. I didn't do it. And once I finally did, it was a game changer for referrals. That's interesting. Okay. Because I'm really the only person in Denton County that does what I do, not only from an entertainment music law perspective, but from a trademark and copyright perspective. So it then led to referrals for business. Almost all of my clients are creative. They just may not be in an industry that falls under the, again, whatever, however we define entertainment law. They might be educators who write teaching materials. Well, that's copyright. That's literary. They sell that under a brand name. That's trademark. It's all contracts. So get involved, even if you're out in small town, get involved with your local bar association and let people know what you do. You will be surprised. Tell, tell everybody, whether you're at your place of worship, hey, this is what I do. You'll be surprised at Boy Scouts, all of the, again, networking kinds of things. Because a lot of the referrals I get, actually, I can't help, not because maybe they're a film issue, but maybe it's a patent issue and I don't do those. But people know if they can't figure out what it is, they'll just refer it to me because I can figure out what it is and then refer them on to somebody else. Sure. Now, one last question, but this is a non-substantive question. This is, this, but this, this, maybe this is one of the, one of the most important questions I could ask you. And that is, if a Texas lawyer finds themselves in Nashville, what's good to see and where do they go? Tell us about Nashville because you've spent some time there. That is a great question, and I hate to say I moved from Nashville 25 years ago, and while I still go home to see my mom and my family in the suburbs, Nashville has changed so much. 
that the things that I probably would have told you to do then are very different now. Now, of course, you need to go drive down Music Row, go to the Grand Ole Opry, not only the one that's at the the new Opry House, but if, go to the Ryman. And if you can see a show at the Ryman, which was the original home of the Grand Ole Opry, that would be amazing to do. So, you know, there's it's it's so hip and trendy now. It wasn't so much when I was there, but lots lots of good good things to do there. Lots, still lots of good old memories, and I, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure the old places are still there, so we can probably enjoy all of it, the, yeah. the old and the new, and the hip and the venerable. So. That's right. I am going to share one resource that I didn't share when you asked me that before. We can just plug it in here. Sure. For folks who are wanting to get involved and get some experience, check out TALA, T-A-L-A. It's the Texas Accountants and Lawyers for the Arts, nonprofit that provides legal and accounting services for clients in the arts industry. So instead of it being Legal Aid of West Texas, this is the specific organization that if a nonprofit arts company, a record producer, who, whoever it might be, if they qualify for reduced or free legal services, they go through this nonprofit and then that work is assigned out to lawyers to take on as pro bono. Great way to learn. Interesting. Well, this is fascinating. I could I could talk to you about this all day, but unfortunately that is all the time we have for today. So I want to thank you, Tamara, for joining us. It's been great having you. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. And of course, I want to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, remember, life's a journey, folks. I'm Rocky Deer, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to texasbar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.